And for me, I get the biggest kick out of growth. So I, re I really wanted to find something that either was about to grow or really needed to grow. Welcome to Behind the Brand, presented by NEO. We take an inside look at the leaders behind today's most influential brands. I'm your host, Jeff Adamson. As co-founder of NEO Financial and Skip the Dishes, I am fascinated by what it takes to build great companies. This season, we'll learn from leaders who are reimagining, innovating, and transforming industries all across Canada. Let's get going. Today, I'm excited to introduce Mary Graham, president of Fresh City, an award-winning urban farm and omni-channel retailer. Mary has a strong track record of building and delivering growth for some of the world's most iconic brands, Procter & Gamble, AOL, Yum! Brands, and as the head of strategy for Starbucks Canada, just to name a few of the companies that Mary has contributed to. Prior to joining Fresh City, Mary was CEO at Mama Earth, a digital-first organic grocery subscription service. In February of 2022, Mum Earth was acquired by Fresh City, where Mary is now working alongside the founder and CEO, Rand Goyle, utilizing her expertise in brand strategy and marketing to grow the local food movement in Ontario. I want to start, Mary, from the beginning. Tell us how you got started in your career. Well, I started off in uh, packaged goods. I was a summer intern on Pringles. And I ended up working for five years at Procter & Gamble in various packaged goods roles, anywhere from Pringles to Crest to Max Factor Cosmetics. Uh, my last one was on dish soap, uh, which was the point at which I'm like, I want to go try something else. So I moved into retail and worked at uh, Yum! Brands, which was Pizza Hut, KFC and Taco Bell and had mm -hmm. a chance to work on all three brands. Retail, loved it, loved everything to do with food retail and food service retail. And, and that uh, drew me to working at Starbucks. And I ended up 13 years at Starbucks, which is like almost half my career, which is which is wild to me um, and had a chance to work on a bunch of things at, at Starbucks, most of the time in Canada, but also was able to, I worked on the global tea business for a couple of years. So as the VP of global tea, I had Latin America as part of my portfolio for a while. So, so I got a chance to wear a lot of different hats and a lot of different roles in the company. Then I decided uh, I really wanted to move on to something smaller. I did I did consulting for a little bit, doing some independent consulting. Decided I didn't love that. Mm -hmm. And I made a, made a list of like, okay, what do I want to do for my next gig? Like what would take all the things that I'm really passionate about as well as the things I've collected of skills over my careers and what, what's next? So I made a little mm -hmm. list for myself and I said, you know, there's like four things I wanted to get out of my next gig. One was, what's the thumbprint potential? What could I uniquely add and where could I see um, myself making the biggest difference? And for me, I get the biggest kick out of growth. So I, re I really wanted to find something that either was about to grow or really needed to grow for whatever mm -hmm. reason. The, the second thing for me was personal growth. I've been working long enough that I had felt myself stagnating is not the word, but like as each year passed, I was probably adding less and less into my toolkit. So I really wanted to uh, make sure I was continuing to grow. And for me, that was taking on a general management role. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in marketing and strategic planning roles most of my career. And, and the next gig for me needed to be a general management role. The third was uh, I was really looking for the right tribe really joining like a group of people that I felt akin to and felt at home with that you could, you know, you spend so much time with these people, you want to find people who feel like family. And then the fourth one was finding something that had purpose. Having also spent 13 years at Starbucks, Starbucks is a very like purpose and mission driven company. And I really, really spoke to me to build the work for a company that was very clear on 
kind of what their North Star is and, and what they're trying to accomplish. So that led me to Mama Earth. It was like the dream job when I when I first heard about it, ticked every single one of the boxes for me. So I joined Mama Earth uh, at the end of 2019. But it wasn't uh, easy getting that job, was it? Yes and no. So while it ticked all the boxes for me, the person who was recruiting for the gig at the time, which was the founder and the, the CEO who was like an outgoing, trying to be an outgoing CEO, mm-hmm. uh, he took one look at my resume and said, yep, don't want to meet her. She's too big. She's too corporate. She'll, she'll never be able to like fit in. She won't be able to like roll up her sleeves and get dirty. She won't be able to be at home in a warehouse, like, yep, no. So I really had to convince the recruiter to like, just let me talk to him. Like, let me, let me have a chance to meet him. Let me explain what it is that, that I'm attracted to and drawn to. And he'll get it. He's just got to meet me. So let me ask a question though, because like, do you think that stereotype holds water? Because I think that's very common. People look at people who work at big companies, you know, aren't going to be successful at small companies simply because they won't know how to roll up their sleeves. It's, it's not black and white for sure. But there's probably some truth to it. Not that they can't do it, but but you really have to be eyes wide open to what the transition is mm. going to look like. Because okay. there's just things about a, a big company, small company culture that are that are so different. And if you've spent your entire career in a big company, you kind of get used to some of the the good things and bad things <laughs> to a big company. And, and you really have to be really eyes wide open and kind of conscious every day about how you're approaching the gig and you're not bringing too much corporate to the table. Mm-hmm. He looked at your resume and said, okay, this is someone who's only worked at big multinational brands. No way I'm going to let her come in and yep. try to take our brand to the next level. What happened next? Had a good conversation. The deal clincher was when he found out I grew up on a farm. I was the youngest of nine children. Like for him, it was a bit of like a salt of the earth reality check. And that I wasn't this like went to business school, worked at these big jobs, like has a big attitude that goes with it. Like he he just had to get past that to see that I was, oh, you're a genuine human who just wants to do good in the world. Well, can we dig in on that? Because it's interesting. Why do people associate the fact that you grew up on a farm, you had eight kids in the family? Forget about me, I was ninth. Okay, nine. (laughs) So nine kids. You could easily look at your resume and say, hey, you've got all this incredible experience that we don't have. And in, in many ways, I would look at that and say, yeah, you want to bring in people who have different skills than what he has or what his current team has. And then he sees that you grew up with eight brothers and sisters on a farm you know, and that ch- changed everything. I think there's probably a couple things. One is letting go of some of the preconceived notions of what my background was. And I, and I will say this, it wasn't the first time in my career working for a blue chip company and having a business degree was a two strikes against me. For sure, it wasn't the mm-hmm. first time that that happened. And the other time it happened, I would say, is when I moved from Procter & Gamble into Yum Brands, surprisingly enough, which is also a big blue chip company. But it was the first time that I actually got to work with franchisees. And franchisees are entrepreneurs, um, just like any other entrepreneur. And there's really nothing like working with people who have skin in the game to make you quickly realize that like your pedigree and your background are nothing if you're not like just a genuine human who wants to help them with their businesses. 
And it took me a while, not a while to realize that it was an issue because it happened on the very first day of my <laughs> job where I had a, spent an hour on the phone with a franchisee who like yelled at me for an hour, literally <laughs> yelled at me for an hour, to- tore a strip up me one side down the other. He knew it was my first day, but like <laughs> he had just had it with all these young 20 somethings coming in and thinking they could like mm-hmm. make a difference on their business. And all they do is wreak havoc for a few years and then leave. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, really quickly understanding that like your background's only going to get you so far. You have to like figure out how to connect with people mm-hmm. on a more personal level and get them to see that you're a good person and can trust you before mm-hmm. they will trust you. So back to like the mama earth for person, like one, uh, he he had to get past that my background might have been a strike against me, like too big, too corporate. But then he also wanted to get to know me on a human level. And I think that he, there was just some sort of like salt of the earth connection. Like he himself, while not a farmer, had just spent the last kind of 10 years developing and cultivating relationships with farmers. And he had a high, high degree of respect for them. And he's the uh, Halifax boy from the East Coast. and like. You know, there's like a bit of rural meets rural affinity mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing there as well. Did growing up with that many brothers and sisters, how did that shape you? Well, just like everybody's family and your background, it shapes you in, entirely. I think there's probably a million ways that, uh, you know, I could sit down with a therapist and, like, <laughs> and <laughs> unpack it. With me. Probably the biggest one was, ironically enough, I suppose, is a, a sense of independence which you wouldn't think if you're in a household full of 11 people that there'd be much chance for independence. But there's just some sort of reality to being ninth in the brood that you just have to figure shit out yourself. <laughs> like nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to do it for you. No one is going to set any pressure on you. Like yeah. there was no one saying you must go to a university or you must achieve high marks because it like, yeah. There was no comparisons, that sort of thing. I just can't even imagine. So my wife and I have two boys. So one is two years old. The other is two months old. And I feel like I'm underwater every single day. It was a it was a panic getting here, you know, getting him you know, out the door. How the heck did you guys do it with, with nine? I don't know. That's why I don't have nine children either. <laughs> <laughs> so so we've, we've got three. But even with three, you become less and less worried about all the details. And like, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, <laughs> they'll figure things out. So you're less helicoptering on the third than you are the first, which is which kind of comes back to when you're ninth. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's all over you to do mm-hmm. stuff. So you really have to, if you want to do something, you got to figure out how to do it yourself. And so I'm interested, Mary, to know about taking over a mama earth because a lot of people will move into roles where they're taking over someone else's work, but it's it's totally different taking over someone's job. Talk about that transition. I'd love to hear about how was he able to let go? How were you able to pull things off? It, It was actually a pretty, pretty solid transition, largely due to the fact that the Alex, Alex Billingsley, and he and his wife, Heather, are the ones that founded Mama Earth. Their readiness to to let go and move on to a next chapter, mm. like, of course, cared and still cares genuinely about the business. Um, Alex was on the Mama Earth board. He's now on the Fresh City board. Mm. So he, he still has a stake in the game, mm-hmm. but he was both ready and I think recognizing that the company was at a chapter where it needed a different set of skills and a different set of interests, frankly, 
because when you're uh, dreaming and building is different when you need to take something to the next level. So I think it was both understood by Alex and I that Mm -hmm. the company was at a different stage and also uh, genuine respect for each other and kind of what each of us brought to the table. Mm. Like the things that, that Alex and Heather did and created with Mama Earth, I wouldn't have known how to do. Like I, I, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'll admit I'm not an entrepreneur, but I know how to take a company from like size A and take it to size B, C, D and get it to the next level. So I think that was probably the biggest keys is that we were both ready for the next yeah. stages and recognizing that we were, we diff- had different skill sets. Were there any areas where there was overlap? So I, I do find that in companies where whether that's founding teams or teammates where you kind of have similar strengths and you kind of find each other stepping on each other's toes were, were there areas where you're like hey i think i know you know digital or and strategy a little bit better from your time at starbucks and you had to kind of be more firm or did you did you not meet any of that resistance at all say resistance like just knowing at it that we're coming at it from different angles because like marketing is a great example Mm -hmm. alex had spent like much time and many hours trying to get like you know facebook algorithm down to the science of exactly how you do it figured it out whereas i've been in marketing for 30 years and like i haven't done that stuff in a while because i've always had people to do it for me yeah so it was there was like some bridging of that to do but like having to grounded in a kind of the higher level strategy before you get to tactics that was probably where i know i wouldn't say it was like friction but it was like okay where do you start at do you start at the tactics or do you start at the strategy what mm-hmm. we're all probably on different ends of the camp that way yeah but i would say surprisingly it wasn't about friction i think we both respected where each other were coming from and alex was ready to let it go Mm-hmm. Makes a big difference. Mama Earth isn't the typical, you know, grocery store. Can you maybe help us understand a bit about the model, the purpose? You know, what do you guys stand for? How are you different? First of all, I'll talk about a bit about Mama Earth and then I'll bring it to Fresh City because mm-hmm. Fresh City acquired Mama Earth at the beginning of this year, which is also made for quite an exciting year so far. Mama Earth has been around for uh, 15 years, which is quite quite amazing for a company that is primarily about organics and about um, home delivery. And I know it's this day and age, it's super hard to believe that, but 15 years ago, organic products was really hard to find. And home delivery was basically not in anybody's radar anywhere. So it was quite a, quite a novel concept when it first came together. And it was really founded on the notion that the current food system, people need an alternative to the traditional food system that um, had more sustainability at heart. Mm -hmm. And how do we be part of a sustainable food community? So it started out as produce and we've gradually expanded the assortment and expanded the experience. So it's more more of a a broader grocery shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the notion is if you bring it back to the customer and what the customer needs, customers these days are looking for, first of all, a much higher degree of convenience. And, and that that bar gets raised higher and higher every day. But there's also a high degree of kind of foodieism out there now as well, like this whole foodie culture of people wanting to get more out of their food and more out of their food experience and discovering new things. So not just about I want to have a higher bar on the type of food and the organics that I'm putting in my body, but also like discovering new things as well. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's a third piece of just conscious consumerism in general. There's like a million stats that would show that people just care more and more about where they put their dollars and they expect brands to help them. But if you put all those three things together, like I want it super convenient, I want it a, an amazing foodie experience, and I want it to be like the most conscious product I can buy, that's a tall order. Like it's a, it's a tall order mm-hmm. and it's a lot of work for customers to and consumers to be sleuthing around and trying to find that for them. Mm-hmm. So what what Mama Earth had done and Fresh City does this in, a, in a, a different way is to be a curator and aggregator for consumers to make it easier for them. Because all these good intentions around food, like good intentions are like all intentions. You have great good intentions on Monday and by Friday, they're kind of out the window and you want to work. <laughs> pizza, like, so it, it's to have that helper to make their good intentions easier is, is, is kind of the concept around Mama Earth. Fresh City, very similar. We had very, very similar missions and reasons for being. And at a high level, we, we had different words to, to state our missions. But at a high level, we both wanted to help people better the world through their food choices. And Mama Earth and Fresh City had been, you know, peeking over the, the fence at each other for a long, long time, mm-hmm. like a decade or so, and, and had a high healthy respect for what each other was doing because mm-hmm. some of it was reflected in ourselves and we're like hey look at us we're, we're both trying to do great things mm-hmm. but also we would look across at going oh they're doing a better job than us at this or we're doing a better job than us at that and it was it's been such an opportunity to put the two companies together because we we really know that one plus one will equal three for all stakeholders in this what was that like internally to be able to kind of go back to Alex, the founder, and say, hey, like we're competing against a company and, and they're kind of like us, like their fight is our fight. You know, we should team up. Yeah, no, that was not difficult at all. A- Alex was like, honestly, the biggest proponent of it. Really? Yeah, for sure. Because he and the founder of Fresh City, his name is Ran Goel. Fresh City actually started as an urban farm. So okay. it started as from this like dreaming concept of like, hey, the way to address this food system is to be getting people in cities closer to their food, like actually closer to their food and having an urban farm right in the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. So that's actually where it started and it kind of morphed into a delivery service. And then from there, it morphed a little farther into an omni-channel retailer with the purchase of Mabel's Bakery, the purchase of the Healthy Butcher, the launch of a couple of uh, Fresh City stores. Mm -hmm. So it actually morphed a little bit differently than than the Mom Earth proposition did. But Alex and Ran have known each other for years because they both, at a high level, they both knew that they had the same purpose and the same things that they've been trying to uh, accomplish at a larger level. So they would quite regularly go out for coffee or go for a walk or what have you and, and have like, Okay. Music conversations about, hey, what if the two of us ever got together? It took <laughs> five, 10 years of like <laughs> on and off again conversations. Mm-hmm. But then when Ran and I first got together to have some serious conversations about this in just late 2021, it actually happened quite quickly. And, and was it a different type of conversation because you were involved? You know, was it put together kind of at the the Ren and Alex level or were you really steering this and like navigating the conversations? Acquisitions, a lot of them will just never happen. Did you kind of apply pressure on either side or help kind of like how, how did you 
add value to that conversation? So I, I think maybe where I added the value and where I focused my energy was less on the deal conversation itself. Like, because okay. of course there was lots to be worked out in like, what does the deal look like? Mm-hmm. And more on bringing kind of my background to bear on what does this look like strategically and what does yeah. it look like for the customer? And what does it look like for all the important stakeholders? So mm-hmm. what is this, what is this going to do for the planet? What is this going to do for our employees and our operations? What is this going to do for the customer, super importantly? And then what's it going to do to our financials? That was also a big one as well. But to be able to put it together strategically, I think is what probably helped all the stakeholders who were part of the deal kind of like nod their head and say, oh, okay, I get why that makes sense. And I get how you're going to figure out how to knit this together and figure out the one plus one equals three. Yeah. And presumably both founders are really, really close and really attached to their own business, but maybe don't know what the new entity can potentially look like and how that benefits and ha- having you involved to paint that picture, you know, not necessarily as an unbiased because you're obviously rep- representing Mama Earth, but you know, you're not as close to it and as per- potentially as, as Alex having been in it for so, so long. And I'm curious to know, so then when you think about the Mama Earth, Fresh City, you guys are coming together. What are the strengths that you both bring to the table? And, you know, how has that knitting together? How is that one plus one to three what does it look like? And a follow-up question is going to be, most acquisitions are really, really tough to make work. And how are you guys making that work? So I would first start with the, like, most acquisitions are tough to make work. We went into this knowing that, like mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, there's a stat out there, 70% of integrations fail. Like, so we walked into this going, okay, we got to figure out how we're not going to be in that 70% camp. We're going to be in the, in the 30% camp. Yeah. So myself and Ran are both uh, we both continue in the new entity. Ran is the CEO and I'm the president. So we're working tightly together. Um, and I think that that being the f- decision one has actually been so far has been quite helpful in navigating how we put our two companies together. Mm-hmm. You had a um, guest on your podcast a few weeks ago from Maple VC. And oh, he talked about like um, different types of. Yeah, leaders. zero, zero ones and twos. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it for yep. sure. So I apologize to him, but he had zeros, ones, and twos and zeros were dreamers and ones were builders and three were threes were operators or something yep. like that. So I think in that world, like between Rand and I, there's, there's not three of us, there's two of us, but if you were to draw a little Venn diagram and I kind of believe the whole world can generally be solved with something <laughs> like a Venn diagram, <laughs> like between the, the ones and twos and twos and threes, like, and you do the overlap, mm-hmm. Like there's a really nice intersection between the two of us and you're, okay. and we're getting like all the thinking that I bring that, that Rand is less good at and things that he's really good at that I'm not as strong at. And we're, and we're really kind of melding it together. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say like both, so putting our skills together is one. And I think two, importantly, we both agreed to park our ego at the door at the start of this. And as much as we could put away our own biases and our own, preconceived notions and really just like objectively look at the businesses and figure out how do we make it better for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it really like there's some mud to be figured out for sure. And I, and I the last thing I want to do is make this sound easy, particularly for if any of my staff are listening to this, because I know they're working like dogs right now to try to figure out how to integrate two companies. So, so there's a lot of mud to figure out. But at a high level, this really should 
be better for the customer, better for our employees, better for our financials for sure, and better for our mission. Yeah. Because it's such a rare opportunity where you get to take two companies, two competitors who have looked at each other for years and have had a healthy degree of respect for each other Mm -hmm. for years, and literally cherry pick the best of each one. When we can rise ourselves out of the integration mud that we're in and realize like, this is the most fun thing that you ever get to do is literally pick the best of companies. And I think that's kind of what gives us a, a bit of oxygen in some of the more difficult days. It's great to see when when companies can put aside kind of that competitive nature and actually come together, because especially when you have that alignment in, in mission and even in, in our world, so in financial services world, people will often say, you guys are like taking on Coho and Wealthsimple and Stack or Mogo, all these other fintechs. And I used to say, hey, I actually really like those guys. I really like what they're doing. Like they're fighting the same fight we are. I actually root for them. I, I want them to win. What we want to do is we want to change the whole landscape. We want to in- increase competition and choice and put more money in the hands of Canadians. And, and if they can kind of help increase innovation in Canada, and if they can help give more financial freedom to Canadians and stretch the dollar a little bit more, especially now. To me, like that's great. And definitely not saying that there's going to be an acquisition happening or anything like that, but it's more just cheering them on and, and rather than kind of like hoping that they fail, which I think, I don't know, for some reason, by, by default, people often just assume that we're not wanting you know, our competitors to do well. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It raises the bar for everybody. When everybody is raising the bar, the, the person who's going to win is the ultimate consumer. Uh, Absolutely. We all want that, right? Because we're all consumers too. It also just makes it way more fun too. I think probably everyone has been in a competition that they've won at some point. The ones that you win that are the hardest because of your competitors, those are the ones where you surprise yourself and you, you're like, whoa, like I actually like did better than I thought I ever could, or I was more creative or I pushed further than I thought I could. And you contrast that with maybe a competition that you won and you didn't even break a sweat or you didn't have to study or anything and I don't really feel any better on it. And when you're competing for the end customer, it's them who benefit. And, and especially in your career too, like you're in, you've been working in consumer brands your whole career. You are kind of a user in some ways of the brands that you work at. Maybe not yeah. KFC as much anymore. But (laughs) every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's actually something I want to touch on is when you made this transition from the corporate world, what was that process from going from a big company to a smaller one? Like, how did you think about what are the things that perhaps aren't going to work at Mm -hmm. a smaller company that was your bread and butter at Starbucks? Maybe it's less about which which things are not going to work, but how do you still like use them and leverage them, but tailor them to the new environment? Yes. And that, that might be something like, uh, you know, a big company m- might be really great at strategic planning and thinking through financials and developing frameworks and all that kind of stuff. And a small company might perceive that as bureaucratic and too corporate, but at the same time, the, when you work at a big company and you like develop strategies for 30 years, you get really good at doing it quickly. Like mm-hmm. the word strategy might sound really daunting, but I'm like, you know what? Strategy means like taking a piece of paper and being able to write down your idea really simply in five or six words. It's actually forced simplification is, is the best form of hmm. strategy. So it's getting people to, first of all, realize that like, the big processes 
don't have to be as big and daunting as they sound. So kind of like showing people that it's like can be easier, but also like skinnying them up and like realizing that 25 slide deck wasn't necessary. It can be done on a piece of paper and get it down to one idea. The other piece is you realize some of the things about a big company are good. Like it's good to have resources and it's good to have data and it's good to have research and all that kind of stuff. But you have to be mindful about like, okay, maybe you don't need all of it because all Mm. of it might feel like a crutch, but maybe you like cherry pick, like, what is it? What is it I really need? And there's nothing like not having a budget to realize like, okay, how much am I going to use my gut for this versus how much am I going to like spend money on a piece of research? And if I think about in my past, like how many millions of dollars I've spent on research (laughs) where I would now go, oh, if that's any more than a thousand dollars, I can't do it. Like, (laughs) like, and like, you really have to be um, much more mindful about every single penny in a smaller company versus a big company. So how do you do that then to go from being informed through things like data and being informed from research and studies and other consultants coming in and, and helping to kind of having to go with your gut? Are you just kind of building frameworks to help kind of prove your intuition? Or are you kind of just more saying, hey, intuitively, I, I believe this to be true? It's probably a bit of a combination. I would say, I'd say you start with some intuition to give you a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And then check to see, okay, is there a way to validate this? for free? <laughs> like, can I, aval- can I validate it with the, the customer data that I've got that, mm-hmm. that frankly probably hasn't been mined well enough because we haven't had enough resources to mine the, da- the data that like sitting right there? Or, or like, what can I do for free? What can I do for desktop research that just gives me enough validation to confirm it's a good idea? Or do I confirm it just enough to get a minimum viable product and get it out there and, and then check and see if it's working? Mm-hmm. So there's like different ways to get at it, you know, and they say like necessity is the mother of all whatever. It's like when you, yeah. when you just don't have the the funds, you got to figure out a different way to do it. You, you had mentioned earlier that you were working at a big company. You didn't quite feel like you could grow the way that you wanted to. And not that you weren't growing at all, but you were looking for, for something a little bit different. What advice would you give to people who may be feeling that a little bit? And I feel like there are quite a few, especially with COVID and People are talking about the great resignation and everything. What advice would you give to people? Everyone's going to be different, right? So there's no, here's three things you should go do. <laughs> the first thing is recognizing that everybody's different is that you need to really understand yourself. Mm-hmm. Like the first thing you should do is like spend a ton of time with yourself. And as you're trying to learn, you should constantly be trying to learn yourself as well and what makes you tick and what motivates you and what you get jazzed about Mm -hmm. and just being observant of like, okay, what conversations give you energy and which conversations drain you? Like, and really understand what it is that makes you tick because that, that then will help you make the list of like, this is what I'm looking for in the next thing. And whether or not that's big or small, that's like, one of the many toggles you'd have to look at. I think the the other thing is like, as you know yourself and as you look towards moving, you just also have to be mindful of like, okay, what am I bringing to the table that's good or bad? Mm. And what should I keep and what should I throw away? Or what should I keep and what should I be mindful of? Just like knowing your strengths and opportunities. Like you, mm-hmm. you should always focus on things that are going to play to your strengths and lean into your strengths. I'm a big believer of strengths based. That's what you should spend your time on. 
But at the same time, you got to be mindful of your opportunity areas. And you're, you might not be able to fix any of them or many of them, but knowing where your blind spots are and knowing knowing where you tick people off or knowing where you're not good at things like that, just being aware of it. You're very grounded. And I see, you know, that it's very difficult for people to be able to come in and, and say, Hey, these are the things that I'm like, these are my superpowers. These are the things that I'm good at. And then, but also acknowledge, I, Hey, I suck at a lot of things and I need to have other people who can really help me with those things in order for us to kind of achieve our mission. Is that something that just comes from experience or there's so many talented young people who are starting careers and working at companies and they don't quite yet maybe know how that might be impacting how they how they're growing well it's interesting to use the word superpower because i because i do think everybody's got Mm -hmm. a superpower and most people probably don't know what it is and the reason i say that is i think people's superpower is the thing or things that is so innate to who you are like it's such a part of your fabric and you do it so naturally that you don't even know why other people don't do it. Like you're like, what do you mean you don't do X, Y, and Z? Because like, <sighs> isn't that how humans work? That's like, actually a really interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah, when it's so obvious. Yeah, and it's almost like you have to go through some years of experience where you realize like you reflect back and you go, you know what, every time I'm in a meeting and I say this or every time... yeah. Uh, like I seem to be the person who does this. Yeah. Then then I get back to you. Like you have to be a lifelong learner of yourself. Like you've got to be introspective and you've got to think, and I know it probably sounds like super conceited to say you should be like navel gazing all the time, but like, it's the only way to identify like what is your superpower. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too. It's like, what are the things that are obvious to you, but maybe not others as a way of identifying what your superpower is and just being conscious of it. And sometimes you have to might you might have to ask other people or just yeah. just observe what people come to you for or and also what, what your kryptonite is too. Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. For context for our listeners, I grew up in kind of semi-rural Saskatchewan, went got a bachelor of science in agricultural biology, worked for Agriculture Canada, worked for kind of the big I'd say agriculture boogeyman, Dow AgroSciences. You know, you grew up on a farm, you worked for large corporations, and now you're you're really working at some grassroots movement in, in Ontario. How has working at Mama Earth and now at Fresh City changed your thinking about agriculture or food more broadly? I do think one kind of common truth that lots of people have is that everyone recognizes that, like, there's all sorts of things going wrong in the world, and everyone would really like really like to try to do their bit but it Mm -hmm. feels super insurmountable like it just feels like oh my god how am i going to like affect climate change so i think i think people should be empowered to do tiny things because like a whole bunch of tiny things are going to add up to bigger things Mm -hmm. i might not switch entirely to everything's organic and i'm going to become a vegan and like i i I might not have the wherewithal to do that. What we want to do at Fresh City is give people the empowerment to make little little changes that collectively, if we're all part of a big community, it's all going to add up to good. Mm-hmm. So I would start with that because it's if you're trying to do it all and you're trying to be perfect, like mm-hmm. if you have good intentions on Monday, you're going to fail by Tuesday and you're going to give up. Yeah. So. When it comes to food and agriculture, I have learned a ton. Of course, I like I'm 
a farmer's daughter, you think I would have known a lot more from, from birth, but like farming in the seventies in Southwestern Ontario is not the same as, as what farming is and can be right now. It's almost like it's gotten so much worth and so much better in, in a bunch of different ways. Like in the so much worse side, there's so much, so much more like gigantic farms and monocropping, like diversity of crops just disappearing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could show you, I, I'm not going to have the stats at my table, but, or, but like there's, there's a stat, like something like a hundred years ago, there used to be a hundred different types of tomatoes you could get. And don't quote me exactly on this hundred different types and varieties of tomatoes that you could buy a hundred years ago. And now you can buy 15. Mm-hmm. Like the the amount of diversity in produce has like gone down yeah. and down and down because you have these farms who are monocropping and wanting to do like one to 5,000 acres of soybeans mm-hmm. because it's like cheaper and more drought resistant and pest resistant and can travel farther and all sorts of like things like that. But the unintended consequence of that is that the food is like not as good for you. It doesn't taste as good and it's doing terrible things to the soil. And soil health is one of the most important elements of organic farming and regenerative farming, and really some of the most important things that farmers should be thinking about. But there's basically three different kinds of farming. One is degenerative, so Mm -hmm. farming in ways that is actually taking away soil health. There's sustainable, which is a do-no-harm kind of thing. And then there's regenerative, that's actually doing positive and contributing things back into the soil. And that's when you get talking about like carbon sequestration and all sorts of things that I am not like licensed to talk about because I don't know all these things. But we really try to work with farms who are doing the best that they can with all sorts of regenerative farming practices. Mm-hmm. So whether it's soil health, irrigation, crop diversity, shade management, like all sorts of things. And these farmers are like they, they don't have big farms. They've got like in fact, tiny farms. Mm-hmm. Our average farm has about 20 acres, 20 acres. And I know you're a Saskatchewan boy. So 20 acres is like where the, where you park the tractor That's the backyard. Okay? on a, on a, a 5,000 acre farm. The average farm in Canada is 800 acres. So if you imagine having 20 and those 20 acres might have 20 different kind of crops on it too. So it's like a couple rows of beans and a yeah. couple rows of tomatoes. And so Supporting those farmers who are trying to do what's right for the earth mm-hmm. is really, really important. It might cost a little more because it's more expensive to farm that way when you don't have the same diversity and you don't have the same economies of scale that you can get from monocropping. Mm-hmm. But it, it's worth paying more for because these folks are going to actually change our soil health and they're going to change. And when I can, I can bring it back to like small things add up to big and eventually you can actually change the carbon issues. Yeah. And it's when people think of soil too, like they don't think of it as a living, breathing thing and how complex it is, how it needs to be treated in order for it to provide like the nourishment to the plants that we put in our bodies. The dollars that we put into buying the food that we put into our bodies, where do those dollars go? Can we keep it locally? Can we keep it moving circularly through the the local economy? I don't think we're asking like, hey, everyone just like switch over to like buying organic for every single meal. Like maybe that is big, a bit too big of a leap for everyone to make day one. But starting out with, I'll shamelessly plug Mama Earth, for example, starting out with like one box and trying that out, introducing that into your rotation, that helps local farmers. I think that helps 
the earth in general. And so I think it's something that if, if people haven't tried it at least to to give it a go because it's it just has so, so much of a greater impact on the, the kind of fabric of Canada. And it's not just that you're supporting local farms and regenerative farming. Like we put everything in reusable containers. So we're like the milkman of the 50s where the driver shows up at your door and puts stuff in a reusable tote and you send the other stuff back with you. Yeah, I grew up with that. That was in the 50s. That was the 80s and 90s for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we, we got it on the farm too. What's the, the message that you want to get out to people? What's the one thing you want people to take away from, from this conversation or, or even just for people to, to think about after this? I'm going to take the time to say two things. One, I want to say thank you to the Fresh City team who are in the throes of putting these two companies together. I may have made it sound like easy work and that it's so obvious you should put these two companies together, but it's hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want them to know that and I want them to know that it's all going to be worth it because we are making one plus one equal three. Mm-hmm. So that's my shameless plug to my team. So thank you for letting me do that. And the second thing I would I would say is back to the, like the small choices add up to big. And I and I think that can work on a number of fronts. Of course, you can do it about farming or food choices or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's also about people's career and their business decisions. Don't feel like you've got to figure out your whole thirty year track because you can make small choices and thoughtful choices, and they're all ultimately going to add up to big. Mm-hmm. It's only when you look back on 30 years and you go, oh, that would add, that led to that and that led to that and that yeah. led to this. And everything you do, big and small, is going to be additive to your toolkit. Mm-hmm. And all of your experiences, good and bad, are going to be additive to who you are. So mm-hmm. just let all the small things happen and eventually it'll all add up. Well, I'm incredibly grateful for you taking the time to come on and chat and all the hard work that you guys are doing at both Mama Earth and Fresh City. I think it's good for the world. Um, I wish I could order here from Calgary. So please expand quickly. I'll be your first customer. Uh, So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. It was a pleasure chatting with you and thanks for having me on. Thank you for tuning in to Behind the Brand, presented by NEO. If you enjoyed today's show and are interested in joining NEO, head over to join.neo.cc slash podcast 50. This link will also be available in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.